there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Long fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. High five, back to right center, and the Braves have landed. Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. Swing and drive, back to right, looking to the sun. Twenty-five lighters for my twenty-five folks. Now get ready. This is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero brought to you by Armchair Media and as always by our friends at BetOnline. BetOnline.ag with sports back up and running for the most part. We've got the NBA going on. We've got uh, baseball about over halfway done already. We're, we're nearing towards the playoff times. We've got college football that's going to start up in a few weeks. We've got the NFL getting ready to get underway. We've got MMA going on pretty much all the time. Soccer still going on. Basically, what I'm trying to tell you is there are a lot of sporting events. And if you missed being able to bet on your favorite sporting events, well, don't miss them no longer. BetOnline.ag has all the lines you need for the real live sporting events as well as the virtual sporting events, whether it's Madden 21, whether it's NBA 2K, whether it's EA UFC. You can find lines on whatever you want on BetOnline.ag. All outstanding lines and prop bets in game live betting. Just go to BetOnline.ag and tell them the Platinum Sombrero sent you. All right, so... Today's going to be a pretty quick episode. We've got a lot of stuff going on at the home front. Not quite as much to talk about. Obviously, though, before we do anything else, let's go ahead and give a very large, very TPS congratulations to one Ian Anderson, who not only came up and dominated, but dominated in a way that I quite honestly was not expecting. Now, we've known that Ian's got good stuff, but to come up and do what he did to a Yankees lineup that, yeah, they were missing Judge and Stanton, but it's still a very, very good lineup, he made them look like amateurs. He looked great. He looked like he was in control from from the very first pitch. You knew that the the nerves were going to be a factor for him, but we've heard a lot about the makeup. We've heard a lot about how... Uh, how ready he kind of was for this moment. And I don't think that it hurt that Ian Anderson grew up in the Northeast as a Red Sox fan, grew up hating the Yankees. So we'll see how things go in his second start. I think he earned a second start, and that one will be against the Red Sox. So we'll see there. But yeah, he looked great. All of his uh, his off-speed, his breaking stuff looked great. He was pumping gas. He threw a ton of strikes. And after what we've seen this year out of Kyle Wright and Tuki Toussaint, 
it was just really, really refreshing to see somebody come up and have a lot of faith in their stuff and not backing down, not making belt high mistakes. I was very, very impressed by Ian Anderson. I think what I was most impressed by, and for all you listeners, you guys know that I harp on this every time a young pitcher's pitching, he was unpredictable. He didn't slave away with one pitch the first time through and try to change it up to go to the next pitch the second time through. He threw all of his pitches consistently from the very beginning to the very end. He didn't get predictable at all. He'd throw the fastball, he'd throw the changeup to righties and to every count. He has a lot of faith in that changeup. He threw enough of that curveball to where you couldn't just sit on that changeup as the only off-speed. He did a phenomenal job at staying unpredictable and keeping the hitters off balance. You're right to point out the second start, because I've had this philosophy for a while, or this theory, I should say, that the first start, the debut start for a guy, is usually going to be one of his better starts, because the major league hitters, while you can see video on a guy, most of the time you haven't faced that person. So it's different from seeing video and actually being up and facing him. So you're right. We'll see what happens the second time out. Now, the Red Sox aren't a good team, so uh, I, I'm feeling pretty good about what's going to happen there. But no doubt the the best thing about Ian Anderson was he was attacking from the word go. We've had a lot of issues with guys like Tukey and Wright and Newcomb uh, and Bryce trying to nibble on the corners. Ian did none of that. He went right at these hitters, and he challenged them. He said, if you're going to beat me, you're going to beat me. And, you know, yesterday they couldn't beat him. That's such a great point. Anytime that you're throwing strikes, you run the risk that somebody is going to beat you. You know, these guys that are that are hitting, these guys are professionals. They are the best hitters on the planet. So even if you throw somebody just the best pitch, you still run the risk of them beating you. But you have to make them beat you. Kyle Wright, he just was serving up base runners on a silver platter to everybody. Don't don't even have to swing at this. I'm just going to walk you anyway, you know. Anderson was having none of that, you know. He he had a a very very good idea. And like I'll use Wright as an example again. Like going through the lineup the second time, that's where you start to get nervous with Kyle Wright because his whole philosophy changes and it's obvious. Anderson changed a couple things too, but it seemed very in line with the game plan that he had established early on. With Wright, it's like he does a full 180. So, maybe there's something that some of these other guys can learn from him. Maybe maybe this is a Soroka situation where it's like Phenom is ready to go from day one. It's easy to get caught up in things like that because we <laughs> we haven't seen any Brave starter other than Max Freed, with the exception of that one Tukey game against the Blue Jays that was a no decision. We haven't seen any Brave starter really come out and just kind of dominate. Even, even when Soroka, before he went down with the injury, he was... He was pretty vintage Soroka, but he wasn't just mowing guys down. He he went to work, but Freed is really just kind of the equalizer of, of the two of those. And what Anderson showed yesterday, you know, there will be some bumps in the road. They're not always going to be one-hitters against one of the best teams in baseball. But very good start, like what we saw. And maybe this changes the calculus of, of what they feel like they have to add going into the trade deadline. I hope not. I feel like Ian Anderson at this point would be much better being like the fourth best pitcher on your team instead of the second, considering he's had only one start. But it's it's hard to argue with the results, for sure. It, 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 you're absolutely right. And you keep bringing up Kyle Wright, and a lot of people are going to think that we're just hating on Kyle Wright, but it, it does serve a purpose because when you're looking at Kyle Wright and Ian Anderson, these are kind of the two pitchers left in the farm system that you know that you kind of hang your hat on. Like we we all know that Tukey has a lot of upside, that he's had good stuff, and Tukey's been in the system for what seems like forever. He really has been in quite the, quite a while, even though he's still so young. But it was Wright and Ian Anderson that were the other two arms that the Braves took that were expected to be at the time they were taken. 
uh, top of the rotation type of guys. Ian Anderson had somewhere some thought he'd be a one or a two, some thought he'd settle in as a three down the line. But guys that you expected to be, you know, higher end draft picks essentially, high high draft picks in the first round. Ian Anderson was number three. I believe Kyle Wright was the fifth pick, right? Fifth or seventh. Yeah, he good. was he was fifth. Yeah, Anderson three, right five. Um, these were the two guys that, out of all the pitchers that were drafted, these had the highest ceiling or the highest ceilings coming into the draft. We know what Soroka is now, but coming in, Soroka was kind of seen as an eventual three or a four, not really seen as a blown away type of guy. Uh, and what you saw from Ian Anderson was just totally different from what we've seen from young guys making their first starts. The other thing I like about Ian Anderson that I was not sure that I would is how effective he is working up in the zone and uh, it has a lot to do with that high arm slot I actually tweeted out to David Lee just to get his thoughts on it as well but really I I just did that to kind of reinforce my own opinion um, that Ian's got what's an 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 unconventional I guess is the word that I'm looking for if I could speak today an unconventional arm slot where he comes very much over the top and it allows his fastball, which doesn't really have a high spin rate, it gives it the appearance of a higher spin rate, almost makes it look like a riser, and he's able to be really, really effective up in the zone with both his fastball and his changeup because it's got that really high arm slot that the the you don't really notice the movement on it until close to the end. It looks like it gets on you a lot quicker than it really is. And at 94-95, it was playing havoc with the Yankees guys. It was. It, it kind of reminds me, and not quite as extreme, but you remember Josh Colmenter from a few years ago when he they used to talk about how he learned how to throw tomahawks, ironically, as a kid, which you come completely over the top for. So when he when he started pitching, then that was what he implemented as his uh, as his delivery. Now, with Anderson, he can throw a lot harder than Colmenter can, and th- because of how unconventional that is, guys are used to seeing three-quarter arm slots, you know? That's what makes guys like Darren O'Day so effective is because, I mean, O'Day's touching 88, 87, 88, but he's super effective because there's some deception and he's throwing from the side. Guys aren't used to picking it up from that angle. Same thing with coming over the top of Ian Anderson. And when you're not used to it and it's just boring in on you, like the way his fastball just kind of gets in on you real quick, it's it's very... Uh, scary is the wrong word, but it just, it, it just kind of comes out of nowhere. And... And this is something that I know that we don't have a ton of time today, so I just want to go ahead and dive into this and get your opinion on this. Ian Anderson, you can make the case for why Mike Soroka or Max Freed might be the most important prospect of the entire rebuild, but it might actually be Ian Anderson, and I'll tell you why. In 2015, or excuse me, at the end of 2014, when the Braves traded Justin Upton, and they got Max Freed in that deal. It was going to be a long time before Freed showed up. He was still recovering from Tommy John. It had only been a couple of months since he had had it. And then when they took Soroka in the 2015 draft, that was building off of the end of the bad 2014 season. So uh, that was the year they took Colby Allard and Soroka and Austin Riley. Very important draft. But 2015 was the first year that the big league club actually just fully bottomed out. They finished 67-95 and 95 or 65-97. and 97. Pick third. And so not only is this the first really, really high draft pick that you're getting through the course of all of this losing, but <clears throat> everybody remembers that he got the underslot deal. He got $4 million or so or $3.5 million when the slot value was about $3 million over that. Pardon me for not having the exact numbers, but that allowed them to take Kyle Muller, who is still a very highly rated prospect. That allowed them to take Joey Wentz, who they traded to get Shane Green, who is a very big part of the bullpen right now. They got Bryce Wilson in that deal, and even if 
even if you guys have given up on Bryce Wilson, not everybody has. He is still he's still the fifth ranked prospect in this entire organization. They got Tucker Davidson in that draft. They got um, Brett Cumberland in that draft, who they also traded to get Kevin Gossman, who helped them win 2018. So just everything when you when I'm looking at this rebuild, Ian Anderson is at the very center of it right now. So is that completely off base, or is there some merit to what I'm saying? I think there's a lot of merit, but I, I would take it into a different direction where when Freed and Soroka were both coming up, there wasn't nearly the type of pressure because they were kind of the first of the young guys up. Like You still had Sean Nukamu came up and everything like that, but Soroka came up and was instantly successful, but there wasn't much pressure on Soroka to be super successful. Like We here in Braves country it started getting hyped when we started seeing just how well he was pitching, starting with that 2016 Rome team, which was still one of the greatest minor league, one of the greatest a ball teams I've ever seen uh, that playoff run was absolutely insane. That pitching rotation could win a lot of major league games right now, but you didn't have the same type of pressure. Same thing for Max Fried. He came up in the bullpen. We'd, we'd seen Max for a little bit. He came up in 2016 after skipping double a for a little bit, but he'd had the blister issues. He really hadn't started at all. Uh, he'd been, been kind of eased along, even though he'd been brought up to the majors, it was probably more of a function of being on the 40 man roster pretty quick. Um, but with Ian, we've already seen Max Freed establish himself. We've seen Soroka establish himself. We've seen those two establish themselves as one of the better young duos in all of Major League Baseball. So for Ian, with the Braves desperately trying to find uh, what we thought was just going to be the third member, but this season finding a second starter to go with Max Freed to take some of the pressure off of him, it was a little bit ratcheted up because when Soroka and Freed came up, we weren't expected to be contenders. It's a different feel when you're supposed to be a World Series contender and you've got a rookie who was the number three overall pick that's been your number one pitching prospect for years. Then He's got to step up into that and he's got to do it against Garrett Cole and the New York Yankees and he came out and was just absolutely phenomenal. I don't know what the future holds for Ian. I think there's we've certainly seen some instances in spring training where he's either super lights out or, or his release can get away from him and he can walk a few guys, particularly with that curveball. But from what I saw, he looked like a totally different guy. Everything was under control. His mechanics were fantastic. Uh, he was throwing strikes all over the place and uh, I, I'm very excited to see what we do from him. And it does open up the Braves to be a little bit more aggressive uh, at this deadline coming up at the end, uh, coming up in the next few days, really. It allows the Braves to be a little bit more aggressive than I think they would have been if he'd come up and kind of bombed a little bit. Uh, now you can say that maybe they feel like Ian can instantly slot in as a two. But what I think that can can help the Braves with is it can help them kind of feel like they can – go a little bit more on some of these pitching prospects that if Ian had done a really bad job and gotten shelled, that they might have been a little bit more reticent of dealing. If they feel that this is for real with Ian Anderson, then that kind of opens the door for some of these other guys who've been struggling but were higher pedigree to kind of be dealt to bring in some more immediate help. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but we do have to mention one. One, Ronald Acuna coming back off of Garrett Cole and hitting a 473-foot bomb at 114 miles an hour. That's just peak Ronald Acuna. If you weren't expecting that, I don't I don't know that you've seen enough Ronald Acuna. I mean, Juan Soto hits a 470-footer. Ronald says, at, at like 110 mile an hour, Ronald says, all right, hold my beer that I'm now legally old enough to drink. And just absolutely crushed that ball. Dansby crushed the ball. Freddie crushed one as well. And Marcelo Zuna got in on that action. All around a great showing by the Braves to just absolutely dismantle Garrett Cole and end that streak that everybody couldn't shut up about. Um, very, very happy to get Acuna back in this lineup. I'll be even more happy to get Ozzy Albies as, as much as I love you on Camargo. My boy's been struggling hard, and uh, 
I'm I'm ready to get Ozzy back in this lineup too, and see once we get a once we get Ozzy back in this lineup as well, just how deep this Braves lineup is going to be, kind of what we were expecting anyway. And you and I are both expecting them to make a little bit more moves, as we'll talk about. But it's not all just fun and games and and good stuff. Uh, we haven't had an episode since this happened, but. Uh, you guys are going to be pretty aware of, of what I at least am very angry about. I'm sure Doc's not happy about it either, but he's probably process- he's had more sleep than me, so he's going to play it off a little bit nicer. Um, I'm just going to word it like this. What in the good Lord's name is, was Brian Snicker thinking when he said what he said about Christian Pache? Okay, so what he said was essentially that he was going to be like a late inning defensive replacement. And part of the reason was because he's trying to get offense out of Matt Adams um, and Ender and Ciarte. So, okay. I have a number of thoughts on this. Um, with somebody like Matt Adams and somebody like Ender and Ciarte, we don't, we don't like this. Okay. But I think that the, it's kind of a bit of a meritocracy where, Enderin Ciarte, whether we like it or not, he's been a pro for five, six years. Matt Adams, he's been a pro for five, six years. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me yet again, but these guys have taken their lumps. They've gone through this, and I don't know if he's trying to mentally harden Pache to say, look, we're all super pumped you're here. We know you're the number 14 prospect in baseball, but you're not. the team doesn't revolve around you. We're not going to just plug you in. I don't like this. But I think that's kind of what's going on. Pache did get his start, and then he sat the next day. And then they sent him back down. And then when he came in and he was the late-inning defensive replacement, what did he do? He lived up to the hype and almost threw somebody out from moderately deep in left field. You know, So he showed up and he did his part. And we we kind of knew this was going to be the thing. Snit is is kind of notorious for making sure that the, the moment doesn't get too big for guys, which it's easier when you're dealing with position players to kind of hide them a little bit as opposed to a, when it's a pitcher and it's like you show up and you just, you got to start today and you're going to be like the center of attention for this whole for this whole game or at least until you either bomb or get pulled. So, I don't know. I think it was good experience for him and it's just a shame the way that it all worked out. I mean, I... Man, I remember the, the day Christian Pache got signed. You know, reading the name for the very first time with uh, Darian Cruz and Juan Morales in that 2015 international signing class. And so we've been tracking him for five plus years. And it's it's too bad. We want to see him. We know how good he's capable of being. But for right now, this snit is he makes some occasional decisions that I do not necessarily agree with. So as I feel like I have given the soft intro, why don't you feel free to dunk all over Snitger? right now. Absolutely. Well, you you mentioned that he was looking for quote-unquote offense from Matt Adams and Ender Inciarte. Um, well, he didn't bother to tell you, or maybe somebody didn't bother to tell Snicker that Matt Adams was rocking a WRC plus uh, of like 62, and Ender's was like 52 or 49 at the time, basically worse than Max Freed's. Uh, and not only that, Ender Inciarte, who we can... Let, let's be generous and say that when he was talking about offense, he meant Matt Adams and not Ender. Um, so you're thinking, oh, he's got Ender in there for his defense. If he's thinking that Pache and Ender both are, are defense-only guys, might as well go with Ender because he's been such a great defender in the past, right? Well, the issue is the last year and a half, Ender Inciarte has been an abysmal defender uh, as far as being in the second percentile as far as outs above average this year. That is atrociously bad. On a team that has had some very bad outfield defense this year, you know who else has been worth negative one OAA? Marcelo Zuna. 
And we've all been talking bad about Marcelo Zuna's defense, as we should, because Doc and I were wrong about Marcelo Zuna's defense, and I'm not, <laughs> yes, I'm not afraid we to admit wrong. that. I'm not afraid to admit that. But <laughs> the issue is, Ender's defense has been trash. His offense has been trash. He's the worst in Major League Baseball in exit velocity. Literally, the only good thing you can say is, essentially, Max Fried's numbers, what looks so glorious as far as the low exit velocity he's sending to a lot of these people, which is another mark of how elite Max Fried is. Basically, he's making every hitter in the league look like Ender Inciarte. That's how bad that is. But the, here's the kicker. Snit's wrong about Pache only being a defense prospect. When you look at his numbers in AAA... Sure, 274 average doesn't jump off the page, but we're fully aware now that batting average is kind of a shaky stat to be very generous and doesn't tell you everything. When you look at his OPS numbers, they're not elite, but they're they're good, especially for a center fielder. They're not bad at all. When you plug in his defense, then they're actually quite good. When you look at everything else that he was doing, his K rates, you know, uh, well, might want to see him come down a little bit. That's the one thing Ender doesn't do is he doesn't strike out. Unfortunately, he's also slow as dirt and grounds into a lot of double plays. So I I... That to me, and first of all, flat out saying that he's only he's a, de- a late inning defensive replacement only until Ronald comes back, and just essentially letting everybody know we're sending this kid down as soon as possible. That was the most asinine, idiotic quote I've heard from Snicker in a long time um, since the Ozzy Albies one, and and that right there is my issue in a nutshell. He takes a step forward, and then he just takes a jump, and he just falls down the ladder. He just slips all the way down to the bottom, and it's completely unacceptable to me that you've got a guy in Ender Inciarte who, this is how bad it's gotten. Ender Inciarte has not played since, what, since the first start he was going to get over Christian Pasha that got rained out. He hasn't played since then. Since Marcakis and Acuna have come back, Ender hasn't played. He pinch hit for Ender with a righty-on-righty matchup with a Dani Echevarria. No, I know. I, I mean, and look, man, I, I wanted to see Pache as well, but I still think, like, okay, let's say let's say that at your job, how long have you been at your job? Uh, only about a year at this one. Okay, so let, let's say you, you know, you've been, been at your job for one year, and you've got, you know, you show up and you're doing your job and your boss comes over and says, hey, this is, uh, this is Christian, uh, he's going to take over your job. Thank you very much for your service. He has proven nothing. He's He's supposed to be really good, though. Don't take this the wrong way, but he's supposed to be really, really good, and he's going to take your job, and you're just going to have to sit over here and watch him. It's an extreme example, but at the same time, this is why players love Snit, is because he prioritizes his players that he knows. Not to say that Christian Pache won't get there. Not to say that I like this. I don't like this, but things being what they are, if dude shows up on day one and he steals your job, and the whole point is to have a chemistry where morale is high, Getting your job stolen, even if it is by somebody better than you, it's a hard pill to swallow. And if you're in a pennant race, the Braves are lucky to be in their position right now. They are very lucky to have survived the fact that a third of their lineup has basically been crap, and 80% of their rotation has been crap too. And they're still in first place because the rest of the division is horrible. And part of that does have to do with the clubhouse thing. Take the good with the bad. Believe me, it does seem like every other week there's some type of soundbite where we're just sitting here going... Even if that's what you think, did you have to say it? And you that's know what my, I mean? That's my bigger point. Like, even if this was your plan all along, what was the point in trashing Christian Bache? Like, no, I didn't. I didn't take it as I didn't take it as Snit setting out to bash Pache. I didn't think it was anything no, like that. I don't that. think he was doing it on purpose. But that's what it comes across as when you tell a guy who's the number thirteen prospect in America 
like, oh, he's a defensive replacement only while the Rangers are playing Leotis Tavares, who's a much worse prospect than Christian Pache. It's just, it drives me nuts, and I can't spend too much time on it because we don't have a ton of time, and it's going to drive me even more up the wall. I want to end on a happy note. So we'll, we'll talk about Christian Pache again because I think you and I can both agree. We think he'll be up again by maybe even tomorrow, but at least by next week. We think there'll be some stuff going down that could result in Ender Inciarte uh, maybe not being with the team anymore and Christian Pache being back up to stay. But I do want to get to that trade discussion because we do need to talk about those because with the deadline looming, uh, there's already been a lot of, of, of rumors on the timelines. There's already been a lot of people talking about particular deals. Uh, one particular deal that already fell through, as uh, a lot of people, myself included, were on, under the impression that Alex Anthopoulos was looking to go and add Kyle Seeger and Tywin Walker from the Mariners. Unfortunately, the Blue Jays apparently beat the Braves to the punch or either maybe out-offered what Alex was offering because Tywin Walker is now a Blue Jay. This does not mean that the deadline is going to be a bust, that the Braves aren't going to make any moves. You and I both think that the Braves are going to make not just one move, but at least two moves. This could be another another deadline like last season where the Braves make multiple moves. Now, maybe not all of them are going to be of the caliber that we would like them to be, but it should be an offseason where if Alex and the front office are really really all in on trying to win it in 2020 and really make a statement, this should be a pretty busy trade deadline. I agree. Uh, before we go any farther, just want to let everybody know, once again, we are brought to you by betonline.ag. This is the last episode we are doing before the trade deadline, so you can either wait to see what the Braves do at the trade deadline, or <clears throat> you can go ahead and go to betonline.ag right now, and you yourself could become a very, very rich person if you decide you are brave enough to do so. We are also brought to you by the fine folks at Manscaped. Now, 2020 has been a nightmare year on basically all counts. I don't think you need for me to rehash all of the nonsense that's gone on since New Year's Day. There have been so many things that have gotten completely out of control, including but not limited to your body hair. Not just your face, chest, back, eyebrows, nose, ears, head, shoulders, knees, and toes, but also in the happy zone, the sweet spot, right there in the honeypot, right there at approximately the center of your anatomy lies that most troublesome area, but it doesn't have to be trouble if you use Manscaped. Manscaped just keeps churning out the top-notch body maintenance products that you dudes already know about, with like the Lawnmower 3.0, which can be used anywhere, on anywhere, on you. They've got the Crop Preserver, which is an anti-chafe deodorant slash moisturizer. They have this Crop Reviver, which is basically like a testicle toner and a bone cologne. And they just rolled out the Shears 2.0 attachment, which is it includes tipped tweezers and fingernail clippers and nail file, and even some round point scissors. All that in the name of keeping you tidy down below. You will want to show this off to everybody, but we do not advise that you do that. But what you should do is go to manscaped.com, use the promo code armchair for 20% off your order. Manscaped.com, promo code armchair, 20% off your order with free shipping. Love your body, love your trimmer. Manscaped to the rescue. So, like you mentioned, this is this is the last episode that we were going to do before the trade deadline. I had heard about the Seeger and Walker deal uh, from a number of different places, actually, before Buck Ballou broke the news. So, just because you hear about something... Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. Heard it from multiple sources. But, that being the case, there are still some options out there. Kyle Seeger is a very logical option. Read an article uh, from Eno Saris, friend of the program, Eno Saris, talking today about the addition of Seeger. Some funky contract stuff in there, but the Braves could absorb it. Might give them an opportunity to offload Ender and Ciarte, uh, or to, just to kind of offset some money. They still have Marco Gonzalez. The price of acquisition for Marco is going to be very high. He's on a very team-friendly deal, and he doesn't walk anybody, not to mention... There are a lot of teams out there that could use somebody to plug in their rotation like that. I am curious about, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, Ian Anderson. 
How much faith does this give you? I mean, do do you think that he's somebody that they can that they can lean on, or are they just gonna go out and get a guy or two? I'm hoping two different pitchers to plug in there. What do you what do you think? Where do you stand on this? Get one, get two. Roll with Anderson. Where are you? Uh, I think that it can be all of the above. I certainly think Ian is here to stay as long as he doesn't crater. I think it's a little too soon to to go ahead and plant your flag on Ian being the number two or number three in the rotation. Uh, I want to see him get through his second and third start first, but there's no doubt that if he continues pitching like this, he's going to be a, a super important piece. He's going to be electric. Um, but I, I do think that they're going to go after one kind of quote-unquote bigger pitcher and then another one who you feel confident slotting in that's going to at least give you innings to to kind of ease off this bullpen a little bit and allow you to, to remain in games to where you're not having to do two or three bullpen games a week. Um, so I do think Ian is – I feel pretty comfortable with him. I feel more comfortable with Ian than I have with any of the other young guys. I'm still waiting for Tucker Davidson to get a chance, but if the Braves go out there and add two more pitchers to the deadline and Cole Hamels eventually comes back, then there's not going to be a spot for Tucker. Um one name that everybody is is looking for, myself included, is a name that I that you and I both but really have been after for a little bit over a year, and that's Lance Lynn. Uh, you and I talk about Lance Lynn a lot because he had such a really underrated season a year ago, and it's it's so incredible like how he's able to be as good as he is throwing like eighty three percent fastballs. Like he has three different fastballs that he throws about eighty three to eighty four percent of the time, and that's. Uh, four seam a cutter and a, a sinker or two seam depending on what you want to call it it's got a little bit more drop than a traditional two seam but a little bit more sideways movement than a than a traditional sinker um other than that his only other pitch is a curveball that he's throwing about i think about 14 or 16 percent of the time um but lynn is a guy that i think that i know that alex has been talking about and targeting uh i'm not certain that they're going to get him because i'm not certain what alex wants to give up but that is certainly the move i think if if he's looking to go out there and add a, a pitcher, a quiet stud pitcher, a guy that not only can can come into this rotation but can come in and not really take the the luster away from Max Fried and Mike Soroka, there's I'd I'd be hard pressed to name a better one to do that than Lance Lynn. Lynn's offerings are not dissimilar to Kevin Gossman because Gossman had a four seamer and he also had the split right, and then he had he allegedly had the slider that that he had worked on as well. He was essentially a two pitch pitcher. But so if you're if you're a two pitch guy, then you don't if you don't have one, then you saw it towards the end of his Braves tenure. They can just sit on that one pitch. Now with Lynn having three different variations on the fastball and having the curve as well, it's it's just enough separation. It's like a, a fastball and a changeup to where there's just enough separation to kind of keep you on your toes and you're like swinging between the two, right? And he's getting results. He's he's been getting results. Ever since he showed up with the Rangers. And moving to a bigger park, uh, moving out of the AL West, not facing teams like the A's, not facing teams like the Astros, there's a possibility he could get even better. And and the Braves scheduled down the stretch, at least as it pertains to 2020, I think that he would really... I mean, this team could conceivably make it to 40 wins. It's, it's going to take some really good play, but if they can tweak it just right at the deadline, they're... They're going to have to fall apart to lose the, this division pretty much, knock on wood. But at the same time, when you're setting up for the playoffs, let's say let's say you can get two starters. Because if you're not comfortable putting Ian Anderson in a playoff rotation, you're not going to get any, any complaints out of me because I, the lights could get a little big. Excuse me. The lights could be a little bit too bright. The moment could be a little too big. 
for somebody who's 21 years old and has been, by the time the playoffs roll around, Ian Anderson will have been in the rotation for like, I don't know, six weeks. That's a lot to drop on somebody. So if you get, you've got Max Freed, who is a legitimate Cy Young candidate, you, you've got, let's just say Lance Lynn and one other guy. When you're building your playoff rotation, you need three good starters, and then you need a really, really deep bullpen, and you need a really, really good lineup. So if you can get Freed, Lynn, and one other guy, and then anybody else who's left in the rotation who's still hanging on for dear life, you bump them into the bullpen, you give it more depth. We know about this offense. I mean, if they play it right, this is a team that could make a deep run. And you saw in 2018, he went and got Gossman, and I, he didn't give up any big prospects because I don't think, talking about Anthopoulos, obviously, I don't think he was really sold on the team at that point because this was the first year they were good. It, it was Acuna's first year, Soroka's first year. That was Fulte's breakout campaign. That was Marcakis' all-star year. There were so many different things that could have gone wrong. So he's like, okay, I'm going to give a little something and we'll see what happens. And then last year, when it's like, okay, this is legit. This was, everybody was on fire. Acuna was tracking for 40-40. Josh Donaldson had figured it out. Freddie was having an unbelievable year. And the biggest hole was the bullpen. So he's like, all right, I'm not just going to go get one guy. He got three absolute studs down the stretch, with the exception of Shane Green and Mark Melanson's first week. If not for that injury, we've talked about it a bunch, if not for that injury in the NLDS to Chris Martin, the Braves could have gone to the World. They might have won the World Series. And that is partially because Alex Anthopoulos, was, he pushed his chips in. He's like, look, we can do this. This team is good enough, and they were good enough. They just didn't have the luck. Now this one, it's going to take some finesse, but the offense is good enough to go all the way. They have done what they have done without Ozzy Albies. If they can even get a half of what Ozzy Albies was last year. When he gets back, this 1-9, to nine, you're going to... Oh my God, what what an unbelievable team this could be. Sorry for the love fest on, on the team just now, but I, I really think that Anthopoulos knows everything that I just said. I think that he knows that if he plays this just right, half season or 40% season, whatever, championship's going to count. If we raise a banner, then it counts. Uh, I, I think I would agree with you there. I think the uh, the main thing here that we're, we're trying to do is, is whenever you're trying to figure out who somebody's going to bring in, there's so much that really goes into it that it's kind of hard to to just say, oh, well, the Braves can go out and get this guy because you do have to consider that other teams are trying to go after the same person and drive up the bidding price. And one thing that while I personally might think that Alex has been gun-shy ever since the Noah Syndergaard deal, uh, one of the other things that you do have to consider is that Alex also has a set price limit and that it's he's he's more saying, I'm not going to get burned like that again. I'll walk away before I get burned like that again. Going into this trade deadline, though, the Braves are in a pretty good spot. I mean, aside from the rotation, this team is built to win everything if you can get just reliable starts. You don't even have to have an elite rotation. You just have to be able to reliably get into the fifth and sixth inning, and this offense and this bullpen is good enough to shut anybody down. That's why I think Lance Lynn is a primetime candidate, and they match up really well with the Rangers, who would look like they're in full tank mode right now. I actually just got done talking to my Locked On Rangers uh, co-host or cohort, uh, Bryce Patrick, and, and we were talking about the Lance Lynn deal and, and something that you could kind of outline for it. And, Doc, I want you to tell me what you think about this deal. Okay, we're reversing what we did last week. I love it. So here's what I was coming up with. Originally, now I'm – I'm doing Lance Lynn and Luis on Helicuna because I have this grand scheme in mind to bring in Luis on Hell, sign Brian Acuna, and have all three Acunas play in Atlanta at the same time for a long time. 
like starting in 2025 or 2026, whenever Brian is actually fully ready, 2025 is my is my number that I'm targeting. All three of them playing on opening day, and essentially we are the Atlanta Acuna's. That's your way to make sure that all that Ronald wants to stay here for his entire career. You bring his brothers there, pair them up with Ozzy Albies. You're gonna have the most fun team of all time. Not to mention Brian Acuna is a legitimate stud in his own right. Um, so. My thought for getting both of those guys, because Luis Angel is rated the number 30 prospect in a weak Rangers farm system, it's not going to cost you much to get him unless they're just as high on him as I am. Uh, so I was thinking, at first I was thinking that it might take Drew Waters to get Lance Lynn. The more I thought about it, the more I don't think it's going to. The Rangers have some outfield options. They do have Willie Calhoun. They've got Joey Gallo, who I doubt they trade. they got Leo Taveras. They've got some outfield options. What they don't have is a catcher. Because Sam Huff, I'm sorry to tell any Sam Huff dynasty holders, he's not going to be a catcher for the long haul. Uh, they do have Jose Trevino, but Trevino is more of a number two. He's more of a, a defense-only type catcher. So what I really think the Rangers would push hard for, and I, what I, who I think Alex would be comfortable offering, would be William Contreras. I'd prefer giving up Langoliers, but I think Alex would rather hold on to Shea. Shea is Alex's guy. William, as much as we like what we've seen from William, is not Alex's guy. And it's a tough thing because you can say we, we're expecting William Contreras to be here next year and pair with, with Travis Darno, but we do know Darno is going to be here. It's not like they can't just sign Tyler Flowers to a one-year deal or, or whenever they feel like Shea is ready. Uh, I think that William Contreras would be the headline piece there. I think it would also cost you uh, a Kyle Muller, a, a good pitching prospect for a team in the Rangers that has just awful pitching and spent a lot of money on Jordan Lyles to be awful and got Kyle Gibson, who is also awful. And really, aside from Hans Kraus, who is either really good or awful, and Cole Wynn, who it's still way too early to tell what he is, they don't have any pitching in the farm system to speak of. So a guy like Muller could go there and really blow up. He, you know, Obviously, he's from Texas. He knows the area pretty well. And he's a guy who, who's done a lot of great work lately. I'd hate to lose him. But I think if you could go with a package of a William Contreras, a Kyle Muller, and then I think you could either move a Newcomb or a Bryce Wilson. I think if you could get Newcomb in there, I think Newcomb is a prime change of scenery candidate. Is kind of a lottery throw-in. He's another guy that they can at least try to fix. Or a guy like uh, Bryce Wilson, a guy who still has prospect pedigree. If I'm not mistaken, he's still in the top 100. Um, has struggled here. He doesn't really have... The thing with a lot of these guys here who've struggled is they're constantly going to have to look over their shoulder here because there's still four or five other guys that are coming to take that one spot. In Texas, Texas can kind of do the Colby Allard thing where they can give them chances to, to learn and struggle at the big league level and try to reach their, their true potential. So I think, I think Texas is one of the few places where Bryce or Nuke would still have pretty good value. And I think if you throw in those three, I think you could get Lance Lynn and Luis Angel. You know, I think you might be onto something. The inclusion of Nuke is interesting. Like, even if if he's kind of just spinning his wheels here, if nothing else, he gives them a body to plug into their rotation. And he's still, it's not like his upside has, has completely evaporated. But it here, it's it's going to be tricky for him. Um, I mean, I would do it. This is, you kind of have to trade from a surplus, you know? And, and as far as, you know, the Braves have a couple of really good, uh, really good catching options for the future. They've got a couple of really good left-handed pitching options for the future as well. I mean, you could you could swap out Tucker Davidson for Kyle Muller, possibly. I mean, I think that Davidson might actually be a better target for the Rangers' perspective just because I think he's got a better chance to stick as a starter. Um, I would probably do that deal. 
one thing that's interesting is that when we were looking at like the the Kyle Seeger deal or anything that would involve the Braves taking on money, that we were both looking at it as an opportunity to say, okay, well, we can just kind of slip Ender Enciarte and his $9 million next year into that deal. Uh, Lynn is only making, I think, $10 million next year, which for somebody who's doing what he's been doing is a steal. So... Even if Texas wanted more, I don't think they'd be completely off base to ask for more. I mean, you you have Pache, who came up and was just here for the blink of an eye. You have Waters that hasn't debuted yet, and Anderson's not going anywhere. And then between those three and then the next five, you just have a, you know, you've got a couple different guys that are like, that have tried, but they haven't quite gotten over the hump yet. You know, you've got your Kyle Wrights and your Bryce Wilsons. I, I guess Wright lost his, uh, lost his eligibility earlier this year. But there's just a couple of guys that have that have come up and just haven't been able to to figure it out. And it's easy for us to look at them. You know, Kyle Wright struggles over five, six starts. And we say, oh, well, this guy's going to bust or whatever. That's what some people are saying. I, I don't think that his, that his career is, like, over <laughs> by any means. The same thing with Tukey. I mean, these, these guys take time. Look at L- Lucas Giolito. Uh, everybody wants to point to Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz, but let's look at Freed, how he kind of sucked a couple of years ago when he first came up, and how Lucas Giolito was literally the worst pitcher in baseball two years ago, and he just threw a no-hitter the other day. It takes time for these guys to figure it out. But if you're the Rangers, and you want somebody who's going to step in and be that guy like soon, Nuke might be able to at least clear his head a little bit by getting out of Atlanta. Um I don't know. It, it's there's still the, the capacity that you could have a, a Wainwright esque deal by trading one of these guys that that impatient Braves fans have already given up on. Not necessarily saying that's going to happen, but I think I think Lynn is a really good solid target. I think you still slot him in as number two behind Freed because, like I said, Max Freed is a Cy Young candidate. Um, I would do your deal. I would. I don't know if Texas would, but I'd do it. And then we got two out of three for the the brothers Acuna. I love how you've got the five year plan just. Just for them, just for them, uh, for for them and Albies. Everything else can I can take it as it comes, but I will have my holy triumvirate until it is taken away from me. I will have that. Now I did have some other stuff for us to look at, but we're obviously we're not going to have time this week as we are completely running out of of time here. And I do have a uh, fussy child to go and deal with, so uh, I'm going to leave you guys with this. And Doc, you tell me whether you think it's going to happen or whether you don't. Uh, when we record next week, we will be looking at Lance Lynn and Kyle Seeger as Atlanta Braves, along with, uh, may, I'll say maybe on the third one. I think I think for sure we'll look at Lance Lynn and Kyle Seeger as Atlanta Braves, and we may see uh, Alex Cobb or Trevor Williams as well. My bet would be Alex Cobb. I'm going to say two out of three on those. I'll say two out of three. I won't say which ones, but I will say it will be two out of three. Well, that's no fun. <laughs> you know, I could still, I could see um, somebody like Trevor Williams uh, be going in for for Alex Cobb. Then again, he just got demolished by the White Sox the other day. So if you're scouting stat lines, I implore anybody to look at the actual game logs and see if you're um, see if something is being swung by one really bad outing. Because I think that's kind of how it goes for for some of these guys, where it's like the numbers aren't really sexy for the full season, but you look at it and it's like, okay, this guy had five out of six really good starts, and you know what? I'll take that. We, The guys like Lance Lynn, there aren't a ton of them out there. So we might have to quote-unquote settle. But still, if somebody's got an ERA that's like four and a half, look deeper. If somebody's FIP is lower than it, just look deeper. That's I'd say it every week. Just If you're going to scout the stat line, scout a lot of stats. I don't think I could say it any better. So 
With that being said, we are out of time for this week. We do got to get out of here. We will be back next week to discuss the trade deadline and where Atlanta remains as we head onward to getting healthy and really making a real push towards being contenders this season. Hopefully we can beat out those stinking Dodgers who everything just seems to go right for all the time. But as it is, Doc, thank you for joining me this week. Everybody else out there, thank you guys for tuning in. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. We will be back next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Thank you for being a friend